Welcome to Christ the King. My name is Grant. I'm uh, one of the teaching pastors. And uh, in case you haven't noticed, I'm a big softy. And uh, I'm okay with that. I'll give you just a brief announcement before we get started, and then I'll introduce Melanie to you so you know who this lady is that's sitting next to me. Uh, if you're new to Christ the King, we do something called Welcome to CTK. It's going to happen right after this service. And uh, I'm going to head upstairs to room 213. If you're new, you're just trying to figure out what this place is. I'd love to spend about 15 minutes with you just telling you our story and uh, kind of how we got here and, and what in the world God is doing in this place. And so if you're curious, we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. That would be just awesome. The city of Berlin has a problem with pigs. Did you get that? The problem actually started out kind of small and kind of cute. There they are. Aren't they cute? These are little baby pigs, right? The problem is that problem has grown and now it looks like this, which is not good at all. <laughs> Wild pigs have been taking over the city of Berlin. They're attacking people, shredding garbage, taking over city parks and wooded areas. They are violent and angry all of the time and they're causing a lot of problems. For a long time, the people of Berlin just kind of ignored the problem. They thought it would just kind of go away on its own, but it just won't go away. In fact, the problem keeps growing. Gabrielle Close came to her flower shop in Berlin one morning to find out that it had been overtaken by one of these wild pigs. She did every single thing that she could to try and get rid of the pig, but the pig just would not go away. She tried everything, finally called the city of Berlin, and the city of Berlin sent an urban boar hunter. What guy would not want that job? Uh, seriously, right? They sent an urban boar hunter to take care of the problem by turning the pig into ham. But there was a problem. When the urban boar hunter got to the house, in the meantime, Gabrielle had actually grown quite attached to the pig. She'd named the pig Amanda. And when the hunter went to go about his job, she defended the pig's life to the boar hunter. Amanda is still there to this day. She lives inside of the flower shop and Gabrielle has just oriented her life to live all the way around the existence of that pig. I would love to hear the list of excuses that Gabrielle has come up with to explain why a pig has taken over her life. We all have issues. <laughs> they start small and actually kind of cute. But as we grow, they grow and they get ugly really, really, really fast. Some of us do our best just to try and ignore them and keep them out of the way, hoping that they'll go away, but we know that that never happens. Somebody that loves and cares about us comes and says, I'd like to help you take care of this issue in your life, and we actually end up defending the pig. We defend them with statements like, hey, that's just the way I am. I can't change. No, really, I'm fine. We all have issues. The question is whether or not we have the courage to allow God to call a pig a pig, to remove it and then to clean up the mess that our lives have become. Some of you are going to walk out of church today with a startling admission that I guarantee you've probably never said walking out of church and never thought you would, and the startling admission is this, there's a pig in my life. Pastor Melanie Kemp is our recovery pastor. Mel has been on staff at Christ the King for more than 11 years. She's actually been here longer than I have. As a pastor of recovery, she's also another face of recovery. She has walked this journey towards wholeness, and because of her position, she has become very well acquainted with the excuses that people give 
about why they would never want to enter a process where God is going to deal with the ugly stuff in their life. In your program this morning, we're calling this Why We Risk Recovery or, in my language, Excuses for Ignoring the Pig. And Melanie's going to talk us through all four of them this morning. Mel, would you please? So part of my role here at Christ the King is to meet with people one-on-one. I primarily meet with women, but occasionally I'll meet with couples. And by the time they pick up the phone and call me, they're probably in crisis or they're just tired of struggling with whatever they're struggling with. When I meet with people, I tell them I can do three things. I can listen to them, I can pray for them, and I can help them figure out what their options are. Well, it's in this option phase that I encounter resistance. So I'm going to just go over, take a few minutes, and cover four reasons that come up over and over again of why people resist, honestly, just getting help. So the first reason that I often encounter is I don't have time. Well, I don't have time either, right? None of us has time. We all have insane lives. And I agree on the surface, but when I press in, when I listen, what I hear is I don't have time is really a symptom more than it is the actual excuse. There's often an underlying problem beneath. A while ago, I was talking to a friend, and she was in this this situation. Her life was out of control. She had an insane pace, and she was telling me, I've got to do something different, or I think something bad is going to happen. Well, a few years ago, she had a minor stroke. She was in the hospital. She deals with high blood pressure. She, heart disease is in her family. And so she knows that if she doesn't make some changes, that something bad will happen. So I encourage her to stop, um, to think about her life, to think about why she packed so much in, what needed to change, and to make those changes. And she agreed with me that that needed to happen. But her response was interesting. She said, I'm afraid to stop. Because if I stop, then I have to acknowledge the pain in my life. I have to acknowledge that there's deep disappointment, that there's failed relationships. And that hurts, and I don't think I can handle that right now. So she packs her days really full. She gets home. Later at night, she takes a hot bath, drinks a glass of wine, crawls into bed with the TV on, falls asleep with the TV on, and at some point her husband comes in and turns the TV off, and she wakes up the next morning and starts all over again. She said, I have a hard time being alone. I I don't like quiet, and I have to fill my day with things. Well, it sounds sad, but I don't think she's alone. Many of us struggle to be present in our own lives. Slowing down enough to be present is difficult when there's unresolved issues. You know, for years I had to have the TV or the radio on when I was, particularly if I was alone at home. This is how I was raised. The TV was always on in our house. It was just noise. No one was even watching the TV. It was just always on. And that carried into my adulthood. I struggled with quiet and silence and There were some times when I honestly felt like I was going to crawl out of my own skin with the quiet. So instead of asking why that was the case, what we do is we perform. We fill roles. We pack our days full, hoping to find a place, hoping to experience something meaningful. 
But it really doesn't work, does it? At least it doesn't work for very long. Did you know that one of the best gifts that we can give those around us is to be at peace? The Hebrew word peace is shalom. We often think that peace means the absence of conflict or chaos, but shalom means wholeness. So when Jesus came to give us peace, that's what he said. I come to give you peace. He actually came to give us wholeness. Leanne Payne, in her book, The Healing Presence, says that to be is to experience life firsthand and to live in the present moment. Well, this can be challenging when we're driven to accomplish, to compete, and to fill our days. But God wants to give us peace. He longs to give us peace. He wants to give us that peace that defies understanding, which means regardless of what I'm going through right now, this very moment, Regardless of what's been done to me in the past or what I've done to myself or to others, God still longs to make me whole. The catch is, I have to make space in my life for that to happen. Well, the second excuse that I often hear, interestingly, is that it feels self-centered. I even have people express to me that they're embarrassed to even admit that they might need help or they might need recovery. And this particularly seems to be a struggle for Christians. And I don't know if we think it's a bad reflection on God that, that somehow, you know, he's doing his part, and, but we're not doing ours. That's not how it works. After years of being on this journey, I've discovered that God is the giver of all wisdom. He gives insight, and he heals us. And God can even use good counselors, and God can use recovery classes to help us get there. The criticism of recovery is often that it encourages people to become self-focused. You've heard people say, I'm working on myself now. I'm taking time to work on myself. Well, can I just say that that's not always a bad thing? I mean, depending on circumstances, I mean, we all need working on, right? But the thing is, is that what we often do is we look inside of ourselves for the answers as though we could dig deep enough and we can think hard enough and we can dissect ourselves into small enough pieces that we'll get to the root of what's causing the pain, why do we keep doing the same things over and over again, and then somehow it'll change. But that's not how it works. And none of us wants to be that person, right? We, we're okay with other people needing help. We're okay with with even other people being a little self-centered or self-absorbed, but none of us wants to be seen as that person. Well, we are called to find ourselves, actually, but we're to find ourselves in Christ. He alone holds our identity, and we're to look to Him for the truth about who we are. So, as I allow God to come into my life, and He exposes the lies that I, that I believe about myself as a result of just life, hurt, trauma, things that happen to everyone, I give those to him in exchange for his truth about me. And this is a necessary exchange. This is an absolutely necessary exchange if we're going to come into a fullness of what it means to be a child of God. What it means to be, this is what it means to be a new creation. We have to exchange the lies for the truth. We have to exchange the old garbage for the new. In finding my true identity, I focus on Christ where it belongs. Do you know that the more we reject ourselves, 
Now, I want you to think about this. The more we reject ourselves and the more we kind of remain at odds with ourselves, we actually become more self-absorbed. Think about all the things you don't like about yourself and how you just turn it over and over in your mind. That is, that's how we become self-absorbed. But if we focus on Christ, then we take it off of ourselves and place it on Him where we belong. And it's at that place that we come to live from a solid sense of being, which comes from our identity in Him, which is actually a part of our inheritance as children of God. But few of us actually live from that place. Most of us struggle day to day, striving in our own strength, just honestly hoping to catch a break. Well, the third excuse that I hear is, I can handle it. We all say that, right? I can handle it. Or maybe we say, I have to handle it. And maybe we go a step further and say, I don't have any other choice but to handle it because no one else is showing up to help me. I know for me, handling it meant whatever feelings that I was um, feeling at the moment because of a difficult situation, it meant putting it in a box, putting it away for me to take out and deal with later. The problem is later never came. There was always something else. So I wove into my life the cycle of never dealing with the pain of the moment. You know, individual moments of pain are difficult. They're hard. We've all experienced them. But when we defer pain over and over and over again, it becomes something else altogether. A good friend of mine recently lost her brother. She grew up in a different state. She's from a large family, one of the oldest so she helped raise her brothers and sisters. So this was a difficult thing for her. She was explaining to me that in her family there was this sort of unspoken code. They never really said it out loud, but there was this code that when, when difficult things happened, when tragedy happened, that you didn't really spend a lot of time talking about it. You just kind of pulled yourself up by the bootstraps and, and you got really busy and you did something to distract yourself and everybody just learned how to kind of move on on their own. Well, she, um, I mean, it was sad. Her brother died of cancer in his young 20s, just one of those things that's really difficult. She came back from the funeral. She'd been home for a couple of weeks and she encountered this mindset again. I think this, this person didn't mean any harm, but the message was, you know, I'm sad your brother died, but now it's kind of time to move on. You know, we've, we've got stuff to do. And she said in that moment, it was like her heart just closed. And all the grief, which takes time, by the way, all that grief about her brother, she locked in a box and put it away. And she explained, though, that now she doesn't know how to open the box back up. And she realized that she's done this for most of her life. Well, so for some of us, actually for a lot of us, trust has been broken. That just seems to be a part of living this life. I know for me it was broken at a young age. My parents, honestly, I believe they did the best that they could with what they had. But I very early on learned to say, I'm okay. No, I'm okay. They would say I was strong and I was smart and I could handle stuff. And I would just nod. I'd become very good at being who I thought others needed be to, me to be so that they would be okay. 
But there's a tipping point, isn't there? There's a point where we can't defer the pain any longer. It's just too full. And the undoneness of our soul causes us to live a life that's unraveling. How many here have said, I can't do this anymore? I've said it more than once. I'm not sure that I could have identified what this is, but I knew that the life that I was living was not working anymore, and I couldn't do it any longer. I knew that something needed to change. And I suspect that there are many of you here that are experiencing that right now. Well, the last excuse, which honestly is probably at the root of all the other excuses, is that we're afraid. We're afraid it's going to hurt too much. We're afraid of the pain. We don't like pain. We go to extraordinary efforts to avoid pain. There have been times in my life where I have hurt. I have deeply hurt. But I can tell you that I would much prefer the pain of working through my stuff and wrestling with God to the pain of despair and hopelessness where it just feels like you're in the pain and it's not going anywhere, nothing's going to change. For some of us, we struggled for so long with no reprieve that we honestly wonder if God's forgotten us and cynicism sets in. I have cried out like David did in the Psalms, Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I'm faint. Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn to me, O Lord. Deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. We all have stuff. We all have boxes. We've put them on a shelf for so long that we've gotten to a point where we're afraid if the shelf is bumped, all that stuff's going to come tumbling down around us. Well, taking a step toward wholeness doesn't mean that you take everything off the shelf at once. You work on the step that God has before you, He will not take you to a place that he hasn't already prepared you for. Here's what I know. That God alone can heal and he wants to heal. I know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. I know that recovery is a process, it's a journey, it's not an event, and it's not a destination. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 51, he says that God looks upon us with compassion. He longs to to heal us. It says that he sees the ruins and the wastelands of our life and he longs to exchange it for joy. This has been my experience. It has been a process, but God's good. And my experience is that he wants to continue to change and to exchange the ruins and the wastelands. Proverbs 14.12 says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So the bottom line is, I can do it my way, or I can do it God's way, who quite frankly is looking out for me much better than I am for myself. So the choices are life or death. I've been watching uh, this whole weekend as Melanie goes through the excuses People hear the first one and they kind of go like this. They rub their forehead. They hear the second one. They kind of sit back in their chair. They hit the third one because they know that it's true. By the time they hit number four, they're hanging over the side of their chair. 
It's like, are you serious? And the reason is because we've all heard ourselves say them. We don't want to go through it. We don't want God to, rough off, to rub off those rough edges, to dig into the deep, deep stuff because we're just afraid of what may be on the other side. Well, this morning as we, as we kind of move towards a, a bit of a closure here, I'd like to just open up um, a story about a guy with issues. We've actually preached this story three times at Christ the King in this past year. It's one of my favorite Bible stories. I promise I'm going to leave it alone after this morning. But the Bible says in Luke chapter 15, it's not in your outline, you can just listen along. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off to a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. He began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. There they are again. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. We love the story of the prodigal son. The problem is we just blast through it because we want to get to the happy ending. I want the son and the dad to be reconciled because then my life is perfect and I don't need to try and micromanage the story. I'm going to spend most of my time in the ugly part of the story because that's where most of us are. As you follow along in your outline, I'm going to move really, really quickly, but I want to share with you some of the moments on the downward slope of Luke 15 in hopes that some of you are going to ditch your excuses and actually join us in doing some of the hard work this year. This guy's story starts with a moment of selfishness. The Bible says, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Have you noticed how many of your problems start with the letter I? I want what's coming to me. I can do this on my own. I don't need your help. I have rights. I want to do what I want to do. If that's been your philosophy, can I ask you a question? How's that working for you? How are you doing with that? You want to know what this young man says to his father? I want your stuff. I just don't want you. I want you to bless me, look after me, and make sure that all of my needs are met. I just don't want to have to deal with you because you may actually lean back in and convince me that I have a problem. It's a moment of selfishness, and he takes another step forward into a moment of stupidity. The Bible says the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. One translation says he squandered his wealth with reckless living. Another translation, he wasted his opportunity with loose living. He had an opportunity to go the right way and he just blew it. What was that verse that Melanie shared again? There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to a really big fat 401k. You know what it says? There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it, it leads to everything for everything, uh, everything for everybody, and, and, and Christianity is just boiled down to this really cool little tiptoe through the tulips. You know. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. When you are wrapped in your own decisions, what you end up with is a list of excuses trying to explain to other people why it is that you've allowed a pig to take over your life. From a moment of stupidity to a moment of crisis, 
Verse 14 says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. Have you noticed, we never see the crisis coming. It just shows up. We think we got lots of time to deal with our stuff. I'll work on that tomorrow, next week, the month after that. But just like Melanie said, we never ever get around to it. This guy just keeps putting off the hard work, and then the famine hits, and in short order, everything is gone except for his need. He moves even there to a moment of isolation and need. The Bible says, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I mean, it doesn't get any lower than this. This is a good Jewish boy looking after pigs. That's not supposed to go together. He ends up alone in a close encounter with a pig who's actually better off than he is because at least the pig has got something to eat. He has nothing and no one because he's never dealt with the selfish items uh, and issues of his own life. And I'm going to promise you something because I've seen it happen over and over and over again. If you refuse to allow God to deal with your stuff in God's way, you will end up alone and with nothing. Because eventually, people aren't going to tolerate you or your issues. Because you're just too much trouble to be around. The heartbreaking thing about this story is that it happens every single day in this county. People who choose to live with the pig and the excuses instead of allowing God to step in and do the really hard work of finding out why it is that you are the way you are. The story spins because of some decisions that this young man makes. They're the same decisions that we have to face this morning. The first is a decision to get real. Verse 17 is my favorite verse in the whole story. It says, when he came to his senses. This guy has a moment of clarity. The lights come on and he has to acknowledge that he is powerless to change his life. His life has become completely unmanageable and now he needs God to step in. He's blown his opportunity. He's taken advantage of the love of his father and now he is emotionally and spiritually bankrupt. When you, when you have your moment of clarity, and I'm praying that this is one for some of you here today, you've got two choices. You can stay with the pig or you can go home. It's as simple as that. You can stay with the pig and your issues and just learn to live your life around it and compensate, or you can go home and live a life to the full because that's what your dad said you could, you could do. In verse 18, it tells us what he chooses. He makes a decision to go home. Verse 18 says, I will set out and go back to my father. He says, I'm going home. No more pigs. I'm going to deal with the reality of my broken life, and I'm going to go back to my father who loves me, accepts me, will forgive me. A father who just wants me to admit my mistake and come home. When he makes the decision to go home, there's another decision that comes with that. It's the decision to confess. He needs to go home. The Bible says, he says he's going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. You have to own it before you can deal with it. You got to say, that right there's a pig. And that pig is smack dab in the middle of my life. And I've just ignored it, hoping it'd go away. What it did was grow up and it just became more and more messy. You have to tell God what He already knows so that you can be set free. Because I love you as a church, I'm going to force you to make a decision today. 
you're going to have to choose willfully to either walk out of here and go home to Jesus, or you're going to have to admit that you're going to live with the pig. One of the two. In a few moments, Melanie's going to pray, and then we're going to listen as Sam comes and sings this song to us, or this story to us in a different way. We're going to deal with God and the pig this morning, whether we want to or not. Before she prays, I just have a simple question for you, Christ the King. When it comes to the high cost of really living, which would you rather pay? The high cost of freedom or the high cost of regret? Because the choice is up to you. Melanie, would you pray for us? Father God, we come before you saying that we do need help. I just pray that you would come to each person individually. Lord, I pray against any fear. I pray against any lies that may be saying, ah, this isn't for me. Jesus, I pray that you would come alongside every person in this room and give them the courage to take down one of those boxes off the shelf. And that, Lord, you'll assure them that you will be with them every step of the way. God, I pray that you would give courage to live life in community and that bonds of shame would be broken as we learn to live our lives together with one another, even through the tough stuff. So God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your deep desire to heal us and to make us whole. So Jesus, I pray that you would come and that you would speak to every person here today. Thank you. Can you hear the excuses in your head? I can handle it. I have got enough time. In buying an excuse, you're making a decision to live with a pig. I don't know why anybody would do that. Some of you are afraid and you'd say, but I just don't know what kind of a response if I go back to God with all of this stuff. Can I tell you what the response is? The response to you coming and doing the hard work is the same response that the Father had for the Son in the story. That's why Jesus told the story. Verse 20 says, So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. That's how God will respond. If you'll make a decision today to deal with the pig. Talked with a veteran Christian last night. He didn't quite understand why we were putting so much emphasis on this whole thing. He's like, you know, I, I, I kind of get it, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Why are you guys so insistent on why this word needs, work needs to get done? I said, are you looking for some kind of a big theological term? Will that make you feel better? Okay, let me give it to you. This is willfully engaging as a mature believer in the process of sanctification. That's what it is. It's opening up your heart and saying, God, I will let you rub off every single rough edge because I've got a lot of rough edges and I think I could use a little help. 
That's not weakness, my friends. That's strength. Strength to admit that you're not all that. So, gentlemen, you can't fix this on your own. So why not come and join a, a whole bunch of us that are just here on Sunday nights working on our stuff? Ladies, according to my friend Melanie, you have made a masterful plan how to keep your life running 100 miles an hour. Instead of running through your to-do list, why not run home? Why not go home? The word prodigal means recklessly extravagant, having spent everything. The story starts with a prodigal son. But this hit me the other day. You know where it ends? With a prodigal dad. Because he's recklessly extravagant in his love for you. He will spend, and he spent everything he had to communicate to you that you can have life and have it to the full. And today you're confronted with a choice. You can live with a pig, or you can go home. It's not my life. I can't live it for you. I know what I choose. I'll take dad over a pig anytime. In a few moments, I'm going to say the words, you're dismissed. We're not going to fire up the band and give you an opportunity to forget the excuses. Uh-uh. Today, when you hit the sunshine, you're going to have to make a decision. No pressure. It's your life. Choose well. Choose truth. Choose Jesus. God bless you, Christ the King. If you come back to join us tonight, I'm going to ask you to go and sign up because I know how the enemy works. He's already making a list of excuses why you shouldn't show. Those of you that came last week, you probably have 30 reasons why you shouldn't come back tonight. I'll be sitting right here between 5.30 and 6 o'clock when we start to join with those courageous people who are just sick of the pig and want to go home. God bless you. You are dismissed.